And the Holy Spirit willingly guides us into all truth and tells us of the things to come. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He will testify of me. And you really know when the operation of the gift of the Holy Spirit is functioning well, when Jesus Christ is being glorified among the people. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So today we're going to look at the Helper, verses 15 through 31 of chapter 14. And I broke it into four sections, the Spirit of Truth, verses 15 through 18. The love of the Father and His Son, 19 through 24. The Helper, verses 25 and 26. And peace I leave you, and peace I give, verses 27 through 31. Father, we pray that you would just, uh, through your spirit of truth, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Give us understanding, Lord, not only of your word, but of the work and operation of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, that we can participate in these godly pursuits, that we can join in with these greater works that you have promised to those who believe in you, and not that we should in any way uh, obtain any glory from the things that you might do through our lives, Lord, but that in you and in every way you should be glorified by uh, the gifting and the works that you have given us. We pray, Lord, teach us this day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the spirit of truth, he said in verse 15 and 16, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. And we discover in these opening verses that Jesus describes the person of the Holy Spirit in three specific ways in really the context of this portion of scripture we're looking at today. He gave three titles concerning the Holy Spirit, that he is the helper, he is the spirit of truth, and he is the Holy Spirit. And we know that title probably perhaps the best. But Jesus said, I will give you another helper. And the Greek word for another there is a loss. It means another of the same kind. So Jesus is telling his disciples, just as I've been with you for the last three plus years, and come alongside you, I am sending you another helper, one like me, the spirit of truth. And that helper there is the Greek word parakletos. It means to call to one side 
Uh, one of the great teachers uh, went to be with the Lord probably over 20 years ago now, maybe even longer than that. But Paul E. Little uh, described the Paracletus in this way. He said, it's one who acts as our attorney and on whom a believer calls for help. And Jesus said, I'm going to send another helper, one who is going to come alongside you. And again, just as Jesus had been there with his disciples, for his disciples for the past three years, the Holy Spirit would come alongside them to help them in the future. He said, I will not leave you orphans. Important aspect of the teaching that Jesus used concerning the Holy Spirit, I just want to point this out, and it comes here in John chapter 14, is that he used a masculine pronoun to describe the Holy Spirit. If he didn't use a title like the Helper, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Truth, he referred to him in a masculine pronoun. And he did this some 19 times in this passage of Scripture. And I think this is especially important given our gender-confused society that we live in today. And you think about the virgin birth, if uh, the Holy Spirit did not have this masculine pronoun, and then what would our minds even conceive or think about when the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and the power of the highest overshadowed Mary, that the Holy One is born is to be called the Son of God. There in Luke 1.35, and the Holy Spirit's gender identity, I believe it's clearly understood and it's especially important for today's culture that we live in today. And again, I, I checked this out in the Greek. It's not that our translators of the New King James or the King James or the NIV, whatever translation Bible you might have this morning, they're translating it from a masculine pronoun. That 19 masculine pronouns were used to describe the Holy Spirit. I just, I, I think that's important for us to remember today. And also, it takes away what the Jehovah's Witness, those we would describe as a cult, they describe the Holy Spirit as a power or a force, but not the person of the Holy Spirit. So they disconnect him as part of the triunity of the Godhead to that of just being a power or a force. But the Word of God uses masculine pronouns to describe him. And so they could have chosen to use neuter pronouns, ones that would not describe them in such way. And so the word is very specific in this. We pick up in verses 17 and 18 that the Spirit will be with you and in you. He says, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So the Bible has much to say concerning the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we combine all the teachings, and I'm just going to give us a preview from here, from chapter 14 through 16, of what Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit. And we'll get into a little more detail on this over the next couple of weeks. But just to summarize that, John, in John's Gospel, he reveals to us that God the Spirit, whom John refers to as, as I've already said, the Helper, the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit. He dwells with us, in us, and will come upon us. And furthermore, the Helper teaches us concerning all the things of Jesus and reminds us of the words of Jesus himself. 
The spirit of truth testifies of Jesus. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. We'll learn about that in chapter 16. And the Holy Spirit willingly guides us into all truth and tells us of the things to come. And most importantly, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. He will testify of me. And you really know when the operation of the gift of the Holy Spirit is functioning well, when Jesus Christ is being glorified among the people. When Jesus is not being glorified, then there's something amiss going on within a congregation or within the worship. He will testify of me. What I want to point out, because it's mentioned here in our text in verses 17 and 18, Jesus said that he dwells with you and will be in you. And then I'm going to jump over to Acts, in the book of Acts, to deal with he will come upon you. The helper dwells with you, which is the spirit uh, described. We read this in our men's breakfast yesterday in the book that we're going through. There was someone relating, sharing his faith with a woman on an airplane flying out to San Francisco, I believe, in relating his story, he said, I realized that the Holy Spirit had been wooing her to Christ long before we had that conversation. He dwells with you, and this has been described as the Spirit wooing us to Christ. It is the sense that the Spirit is drawing us to Christ, that he's working in our life. We're not believers as of yet, but he's working in such a way that he's drawing us to understand the work and the purpose of Jesus Christ, the price that he paid for our sins, that we might be convicted of sin. And then the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus Christ as the answer to our sins. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, it tells us, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse. No one can say that Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is working in our midst. He's with us even prior to our receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. But Jesus also told his disciples that he will be in you. Now, personally, I believe that there's something that couldn't have taken place yet for the 12, or Jesus at this point. He's talking to the 11 because Judas had already went out to betray him. But the Holy Spirit couldn't be in them yet at this point because Jesus had not died upon the cross. He hadn't paid the price of their sin and he hadn't resurrected from the grave. As soon as that would take place, three days later, we discover that while the disciples are hiding behind locked doors in fear, in John 20, verses 19 and 22, that Jesus stood in their midst. He said, peace be with you. And then he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit will be in you. And I believe this is really describing what happens when we receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of our lives, that the Holy Spirit then takes up uh, a dwelling in our lives. He occupies us. But then we have to go over to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to the words of Jesus again to find out this final aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, which Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
And this speaks about the baptism, I believe, of the Holy Spirit, the coming upon of the Holy Spirit. And there are some who would argue that this takes place all at the point when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, that this baptism takes place at the very same moment. I believe that it can. I believe also that there could be a delay and it could happen later. I also believe that you can be, not that the Holy Spirit ever leaves us as believers, but you can have a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. We have in the foyer, I believe, still a picture of a cracked vessel with a hand pouring water into it. And the vessel, because it's cracked, it's leaking. And that so describes us, these clay vessels. We leak and we need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. And I believe this coming upon speaks about the Lord's baptism upon our lives. And it could be that he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit for a specific purpose, for a specific hour. The first time I ever realized this in my life was in a park down in Schaumburg, Illinois, when many years ago our band was playing, back when I played in a Christian band, playing for Calvary Chapel of Lake, or Lake Villa, we're Lake Villa, <laughs> Calvary Chapel of now known as Calvary Chapel Oak Grove, and we were underneath a gazebo in a public park playing music for them. And in the middle of me introducing a song, and the song was called Sunrise, the theme of the song is that the Lord could come back at any time. In the middle of just introducing a song, uh, the Lord took control of my voice and began to speak through me. And what really was amazing to me is that I knew that intellectually, my mind wasn't engaged in the words that was coming out of my mouth. So that was kind of weird because I knew that these were not my thoughts, but words were coming out of my mouth. And then what really stood out to me that I remember to this day is that the audience listening, Phil's church, uh, they gave a standing ovation when I got done speaking. We hadn't even played the song yet. And as musicians, usually you play the music and then they clap and cheer. But you know, it wasn't me at all. It's just one of my earlier recognitions of the Holy Spirit speaking through me. And I believe that at that hour, he had a word to say to his people to prepare them that he could return at any time. And so the spirit of truth, he dwells with us, in us, he comes upon us, those who believe in Jesus Christ. In verses 19 through 24, we find the love of the Father and of the Son. So he switches gears here. He talks about his love, the love of the Father. And so he sets aside for a moment the teaching of the Holy Spirit to talk about the other two persons of the triunity, and the God the Father and God the Son. And I'm going to read it for the context. Verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will also live. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to the Lord, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 
He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. But he begins in verse 19, because I live. He said, a little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live. Once again, I said Jesus got a little cryptic as far as teaching about his death. The disciples at this point, I don't think they were quite understanding what the Lord was actually saying to them. But as I said earlier, in less than 24 hours, the disciples would helplessly watch Jesus die upon a cross, see his body laid in a tomb. And then after three days, they would become eyewitnesses of his glorified body, of his resurrection. And it's because Jesus paid the price of our sins as evidence through his resurrection. He now offers lives, a life to all who receive him as the Lord and Savior of their life. He said, because I live, you will live. And that is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, this reconciliation that God the Father the work that he did of reconciliation through his son, Jesus Christ, as Romans 5.10 reminds us. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? How much more? He says, you will know, verses 20 and 21, at that day you will know that I am in my Father and that you are in me and I in you, and he who has my commandments, keep them. It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will love, be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I want us to drop back to verse 15 for a moment, because our teaching today began with that verse, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we're going to discover that Jesus Christ, because of the love of his father, he kept the commandment of his father, which put him on the cross. Jesus displayed the greatest declaration of love through his work upon the cross. And we can do the very same thing that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And here we find that he ties this back to love, that he who loves me will be loved by the father and I will love him and manifest myself to them. He said, you will know. It ties us back to the work of the Holy Spirit. I believe the work of the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in verse 26, he becomes our teacher. So how do we know? Well, the Holy Spirit teaches us. He reveals to us the things of God. And in that day, we receive Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives. Comes the surety of the unity of God the Father and God the Son. He said, you in me and I in you, that we have a relationship with God. You know, um, back in June, I did a wedding. This was the first time I ever did this in a wedding ceremony. I had the couple take from Solomon talking about a threefold cord that is not easily broken. Uh, while I describe the meaning of a threefold cord, and it comes from a section of the Old Testament, where Solomon is talking about two is better than one. That um, one of the things he says, if one lies down at night, he has no one to keep him warm. But if two are together, they can stay warm. Uh, working in the field, working alone versus working with a companion, 
uh, even in battle, fighting alone, uh, battling with a companion, you have strength. But at the very end of that passage of Solomon talking about two being better than one, he closes it by saying a threefold cord is not easily broken. And so I had the bride and groom as I was describing what I just described to you uh, in the wedding ceremony. They had a ring and the groom held the ring. He had three cords on it and the bride was braiding the cord. And what I explained is that the third cord represents God, that there is strength when God is in that relationship. Now, I think it's going to be a great keepsake. It's like the communion candles, but uh, this one you can have a cord. And people can ask, what's that cord hanging on your wall? Well, two of the, and there were three different colors, gold represented God. They can say that the white represents the bride. I think it was purple for the groom. I'm not sure of that color. And then gold for God and that we, from the get-go, wanted God to be a part of our relationship in this marriage. Well, that's what happens when we become believers in Jesus Christ. God enters in. He becomes a part of our lives. He strengthens us. And that's why Paul was able to write in Colossians 1.27, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, he helps us to keep the commandments of Jesus. 1 John 5.3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. You know, when you're witnessing to people about coming to Jesus Christ, I know one of the complaints that I hear and have heard in times past is too many rules, you know, you Christians have too many rules that we have to follow. And yet what they don't realize is that there is a change in our hearts. And there's also the Spirit of God occupying our lives that help us to walk in the ways of Christ. You know, when there's a change in your heart, when you love someone, rules are not difficult to follow. It's just something that you want to do. You want to please the one that you love. And when you come to know Jesus and to love Jesus, it's not difficult to desire to walk in the ways of Jesus. But he promised, I will not leave you orphans. He brings the Holy Spirit to help us to walk in his commandments. It's not burdensome. And to those who love Jesus, not only keep his commandments, but they discover that God's love is reciprocal, that we love God and God loves us, and that the Lord Jesus Christ enters in. And therefore, we are loved by God the Father and God the Son, as he is specifically referring to the two persons of the triunity in this passage. And Jesus promises that he'll manifest. It means he'll reveal himself to us. It's a Greek word that means to make clear, or to make plain. And contextually, Jesus is speaking about revealing himself or making plain his work to his disciples. In just three days, he would rise from the tomb and he would reveal himself, manifest himself through the resurrection from the dead. And John would testify of this in 1 John 1, verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen, we bear witness, we declare to you 
that eternal life which was with the Father was manifested to us. And that comes through the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus has manifested himself to us. For today, it's through the work of the Holy Spirit, the helper in our lives. In 1 John 3.24, it says, He who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. For by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. That today the Lord uses the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to us, that we can have this understanding. I know that it's not just the work of the Holy Spirit, and I've heard uh, testimony of God revealing himself to uh, myself. I can say the very same thing of using his word. He brings revelation. We get a greater understanding of God. Today, we have uh, testimonies coming from Middle East countries and those who have been raised in other faiths other than Christianity of the Lord Jesus Christ coming in dreams and visions and revealing himself to them and people coming to faith because God is still doing that work of revelation, revealing himself to individuals that they might be saved. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.